Can you imagine sitting in the pub chatting with your mates only to be interrupted by ads? Well, unfortunately, that does happen here at the Homebrew Pub because we're just trying to keep the lights on. However, if you would like to support us directly and get access to ad-free episodes of the Homebrew Pub, please head on over to our Patreon. You can find a link to that on our website, thehomebrewpub.com, and join our mug club. Again, our website, thehomebrewpub.com. I'll see you in the pub after the next couple of ads. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Homebrew Pub, the only pub in existence where every beer on tap is made by a homebrewer. And on this ethereal plane, the Homebrew Pub will turn into the guest brewer's perfect brew pub. So please come in, grab a stool, and grab a pint. This week, joining me in the pub is David, who is on Instagram, known as the DME Brewer. How you doing, David? Good. Thank you, Andrew, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So I reached out to you because um, I scroll uh, Instagram uh, accounts and I came across yours. And what I thought was so great is that all of your brewing is extract brewing. And I talked about this a little bit previously on this podcast, but that's kind of one part of brewing that I don't think gets spoken about enough uh, because... You know, people traditionally start with extract and then go to all grain, um, but you kind of have done it in reverse, which I think is awesome. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's funny because I did follow that trend uh, for about ten years as a home brewer. I I did all grain, and then I just thought, you know what? Why not try extract again? And I I noticed I was producing beers that, at least to me, were just as drinkable and just as enjoyable. So. And for the sake of simplification, I kind of just went back to dry alt extract and stuck with it. Mm -hmm. Because that would be a lot less equipment as well, I'm assuming. Correct. And uh, for a little bit of my background on what I brew on, I use an Anvil Foundry all-electric brewer on my porch, and that's basically the extent of it. Nice. Um, So, because, I mean, I've gone electric as well. Is there anything you need to be careful of going doing extract in in an electric system or does it really not make that much of a difference um so it it depends and and i can get into this a little bit more when i when i make the extract addition addition to to the brew day um, because some recommendations uh for when you add it as you're getting closer to the boil are to shut off the heat stir it in really well and then turn the heat back back on i actually add all of my extract at flame out and i kind of let it uh pasteurized for 15 minutes, if you will, um, instead of adding it before the boil. So in my case, the heat element is already off and there's really no risk of that caramelization or burning at the bottom of the, uh, of, of the, um, the boiler. Oh, wow. So then how did you, I mean, how did you initially get into homebrewing? So around 2009, it was when I turned 21 and it was kind of, I've always been interested in baking and 
maybe kombucha making. I have some cousins, older cousins who made kombucha. And I was just interested in brewing in general. And um, it was also when I was starting to get into beer. So uh, I just thought, you know, why not give it a try? I went to local homebrew store and bought one of those, um, you know, like, like uh, stovetop kits mm-hmm. with, a, with one of those HTP plastic fermenters <laughs> and uh, got a, I think it was a Brewer's Best Imperial IPA um, liquid malt extract kit. And uh, I enjoyed the process, uh, and, and I mean, to this day, I enjoy the process probably more than actually drinking the beer. I, I just think it's a lot of fun to brew. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it kind of slowed down. I, I brewed to on and off for 10 years. Uh, I can't remember why I switched to all grain. It just felt like the right thing to do because it seems like that's the trend that everyone else follows. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I was just kind of, kind of following the, the general advice. And then uh, with the start of the pandemic, my brewing activities picked way back up, as I'm sure it did for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was I remember when um <clears throat> excuse me. I remember when uh lockdown in Colorado was getting announced and I went to my local homebrew shop and the only time I want to say I've seen it that busy was when they were holding a special uh homebrew night <laughs> event like you went and tried everyone else's beers and there were people buying like their first wine kits and their first brew kits and I mean it was awesome to see because I mean I I obviously want a ton of people in this hobby um but yeah it was just funny like because I don't know how it was for you in Colorado they announced they were shutting down all the liquor stores and dispensaries oh wow so, you know, yeah. I have this weird, it's like, a, it's like a mental block on the early part of the pandemic. I honestly can't remember. I just remember my <laughs> wife and I were both uh, kind of moved to a remote work model. And I remember ordering a extract, I think it was a Belgian Blondale uh, kit offline. And um, I, I know I visited some local homebrew stores during mm-hmm. the pandemic, but I don't remember at which points. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I I, um, I already upped the amount I was homebrewing during the pandemic. <laughs> also up the amount I was drinking, so I had to cut back yeah. there. So, <laughs> so um, what was then the what was then the turning point of you've been doing all grain, and then what was the turning point of like going? You know what? I'm just going to go to extract. Like, was there like a singular event or? Yeah, my so uh, we my wife and I had a son born last year, and uh, I had read on some of the Reddit homebrewing um, posts as well as homebrew talk about you, you hear these stories of these new parents who just stop brewing altogether because there's no time or they're mm-hmm. they're too tired, and and certainly I was too tired, but I, I wanted to find a way to just keep my homebrewing going. Um, a, a, a couple months before my son was born, I actually switched over to kegging as well. And so I kind of wanted to keep using all the, <laughs> the, the money that I invested into kegging. Um, and so I figured if I can do a 30 minute mini mash with maybe some specialty grains or maybe no mash at all, if I do an all extract brew mm-hmm. and then um, just get like a 15 to 30 minute boil for the hops going and be done, have a short work uh, brew day. Yeah. Um, then I then I could make it work maybe when my son was napping or early in the morning before he woke up or something like that. So that was really the singular event. It's interesting because I every homebrew I know who's talked to who has children, that is always the moment their brew life changes. I mean, your whole life changes, yeah. but like the <laughs> whole approach to brewing just changes when when children come into the picture. So with with extra brewing um i think one of the criticisms people uh have towards it uh which i think is really unfair there's a wonderful book called extreme home brewing which was written by sam i can never say his last name calgion of dogfish head 
um, is that you don't have like the control you do over like all grain brewing, like your exact measurements of the grain and and in their minds it becomes less creative uh, i mean what what is your thoughts towards that i know you're you're kind of at the mercy for the process by which the malt extract is produced there's you know a lot of unknowns that go into it and for example if you look at uh the product information for like a you know like an amber extract or or like a munich extract it's not simply Munich malt or, or like a darker malt that went into making that. There's other, there's might be some base malt, even in some of the base malt extracts, there might be some uh, darker grains or specialty grains that went into that. And then you can't really control the water that was used, the water mm -hmm. chemistry. And I've actually found, I so I used to really adjust my water pretty carefully when I was brewing all grain. And I found that doing so while using extract creates uh, almost saltier or more minerally tasting beer. So I've kind of avoided using any sort of mineral adjustments in my beer since moving to extract just to avoid those those off flavors. Yeah. And then when you're when you're um, creating a beer recipe with extract, what what is the thought process? I mean, are you taking different types of extracts and mixing them together? Are you using the, the just the specialty grains? How are you formulating your recipes with extract? Yeah, so so the way I started, which kind of helped, was the book Brewing Classic Styles because all those recipes use some element of liquid malt extract. Um, even though I, I generally stay away from the liquid, I only use dry. Um, I started there to kind of see in what proportion the extracts are used relative to specialty grains. Um, kind of got some good ideas for best practices uh, for formulating a recipe. And then generally what, what I do is if I come across a recipe I want to either copy or recreate, I'll separate the specialty grains from the base grains. And, and when I say base grains, for me, it's generally like a Pilsen uh, DME, which I use for the majority of my malt extract. And then like a Munich or like an 8 to 10 Lovabond amber extract. And that's about it. So everything else I'll kind of separate out as a specialty grain. I'll just, you know, I don't even pay attention to diastatic power or mm -hmm. conversion. Uh, I just kind of do like a, you know, a mini mash steep if I do a partial mash brew. And then using uh, uh, Brewfather software, I, I will um, kind of tweak the amount of extract that's added to achieve an original gravity that, that I want. Okay. Um, and so I, I do kind of casually monitor my my OG and FG uh, using a refractometer. I mean, I'm not really doing a lot of uh, measurement in that space, but when I'm formulating the recipe, that's kind of what I focus on when I'm tweaking the extract amounts that I add. Yeah. And do you get, because you're using extract, are you pretty much guaranteed to hit your numbers or is that still kind of a crapshoot? I found that it's more spot on. I mean, when I when I was brewing all grain, so when, when I got my Anvil Foundry, I was still brewing all grain. Mm -hmm. And I think I started with an estimated efficiency of around 70, 75%. And I found that for me, it's it's really more around 63% because I wasn't doing a, I wasn't doing a sparging step. I was recirculating sometimes depending on how, you know, I, I found it kind of a pain to pull the pump out. But um, <laughs> I was still kind of off my numbers, plus or minus uh, five points. And then I've found that since moving to extract, I, I can hit it pretty, pretty bang on within one or two points. Yeah. Um, and uh, even even before switching to exclusive extract brewing, I would I would use some extract additions to kind of adjust the preboil gravity a little bit just to get a little bit closer. But it definitely takes a lot less fine tuning now. Mm -hmm. And then what is what is the advantage of using DME over LME? 
I just don't like dealing with how sticky LME can get. <laughs> um, that's really it. Um, I, I've had, I mean, I've heard some kind of subjective anecdotes about LME being a little bit darker uh, or kind of having a twang taste to the beer when it's mm-hmm. finished. I've heard the same complaints for DME as well. But like I said, I'm not adding mine pre-boil. Um, so I don't know if that makes a difference. I don't really have a lot of evidence to go on from there. But um the, the other thing that I do, because then, then somebody could turn around and say, well, DME, you know, it's, it's a fine powder. It gets everywhere, yeah. um, which is true. It does. Uh, but I, um, it, for me, that, that's, that's a hassle I'm willing to accept, whereas with LME, I just don't like dealing with it. It does go great if you uh, sprinkle it on ice cream, though. Yeah, and, I, and I've used it for baking bagels and stuff to get a little bit of like a malt body to, 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 to that. And um, so, I mean, there's, there's other, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of potential uses beyond just beer brewing. Well, we have an ever-growing tap list here uh, at the Homebrew Pub. And so what beer are you adding to our tap list? Uh, so the one that I would like to add, let me just pull it up on Brewfather here. Which Brewfather is a great app. Oh, it absolutely is. It was game changing for me. I, I had tried uh, using Beersmith, and for some reason, the numbers always seemed off for my system. But I, I can never get into Beersmith. Like I think what Brewfather did was it took what Beersmith was and simplified it so much. Um, and yeah, I mean, because I would, I've got a friend who's always like, "You got to get into software," and I'd be like, "No, I've got books. I'm old fashioned." <laughs> and I finally broke down because I was trying to design a recipe, and I couldn't like figure out because uh, it was i was adding a gallon and a half of tonic water to it at, at yeah. packaging so i just couldn't work out like converting down from six gallons to three and a half and so i was like fine i'll get software and uh yeah i've not looked back so so the one that i want to add it's a dusseldorf style alt beer mm. i actually currently have it on tap at home um, and just kind of full disclosure, I love the European styles. Lagering is a just a technique I've gotten into in the last year or two once I finally had adequate temperature control. And it's really what I'm hyper-focused on. I'm not a big fan of uh, kind of the hazy uh, New England-style IPAs, but I, I've really started loving um, uh, kind of the Northern European styles. And um, alt beer is nice uh, being an ale style, uh, but I still applied some good temperature control and had a good result with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you want me to break it down? Just kind of like the, the grain and extract bill and then hop additions. Yeah, uh, it'd be great to, uh, to kind of hear about like the amount of extract and you don't have to go like fully into the recipe because we'll add that to the show notes. Sure. But if you could talk through your process of yeah. brewing it and like the ratios would be fantastic. Yeah, definitely. So this one is actually a good example of a a partial mash that kind of has a good mini mash. Um, I know I I said I usually don't worry about diastatic conversion, but it looks like for this one I did. Um, So I did about 8.7% of uh, aromatic malt, Munich dark malt, and then I added about 6.6% of caramel uh, or caramunic 2, and then 2.2% of uh, carafa special 2. And then I threw in about a pound of just Pilsner grain just to just to help with any conversion. I mashed that for 30 minutes. I don't really keep track, honestly. Sometimes I'll throw it in uh, in the morning. I'll have my strike water ready to go by like 6 a.m. Uh, then I get my son up, take him to daycare. I might throw in the grains before I go, might go after. Sometimes it mashes for 30 minutes. I've done a four-hour mash. I oh, don't wow. really pay attention to it. I love the swing. Like, yeah, sometimes it's 30 minutes, sometimes it's four hours. 
I've done both. And I know some people might kind of balk at putting those darker specialty grains in for four hours because of, uh, you know, maybe you get some sharp, sharp flavors or tannin mm-hmm. extraction. But I, I haven't really noticed it. I mean, this beer after aging rounded out really nicely. So essentially, I'll do a mini mash for whatever time period, uh, you know, I feel like pull the grains, uh, get the boil going. And then I, in this case, I used nugget hops um, and I just targeted 48 IBUs. So I did a a 30 minute edition of 36 IBUs. And then I did a five minute edition of 10 IBUs of nugget. And then um, after I cut the heat, uh, I added about 39.6% of the total, uh, you know, grain sugar weight of Pilsen light DME Mm. uh, from Brees. And then about 12.3% of their Munich DME, uh, which has about eight Lova bond. Um, and then it looks like I fermented with Nottingham. So Nottingham's kind of my go-to ale yeast. Mm-hmm. Um, love it. I, I mean, you can ferment really cleanly, like in the mid fifties with it. Um, you can even get pretty clean, uh, ales. And I feel like in the high sixties, I've really, it's never gone, gone wrong for me when using Nottingham. Yeah. Um, and then I, 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 I actually fermented in the in one of my corny kegs with a floating dip tube um, under like five psi, not not very much pressure, um, and then I stuck it in my keg fridge for about six weeks and just just let it hang out there and nice. um, never cracked it open to transfer. Never never I just I just let it sit and then just just put the put the serving lines on it and it's it it you know it's a really nice kind of malt bomb uh, delicious beer. Oh, that sounds amazing. And we'll be putting the recipe of that in the show notes so you can brew and drink along with us. So awesome. That's amazing. So with the with the lagering, you're doing like proper lagering or are you doing a combo of lager um, lagering and pressure fermentation? So I, I do both, uh, depending on how much space I have. If my keg fridge is empty, because that, that doubles as my fermentation chamber as well, um, I'll do a proper lager just because I... I it's really whatever I feel. I haven't found one uh, technique to make a difference over another. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, the lager yeast I use is 3470, which uh, there's a lot of evidence to show that it's very clean at a range of temperatures. So um, if I want to turn something around faster, I'll put it under, you know, in a corny and ferment it under 10 to 15 PSI, and it always turns out relatively clean. But even even in those cases, I'll still then put it in the serving fridge and uh, and let it lager for six to eight weeks. I, I feel like that that cold storage is really more important than than how I ferment it. Yeah, no, absolutely, totally agree. That's the beer you're adding to our tap list. What is the worst beer you've ever brewed? Like, what was the one where you're like, I am never doing that again? <laughs> um, you might have seen it on my Instagram page. And if anybody else checks it out, it's a, uh, I tried to brew a Japanese rice lager. And the base beer itself actually turned out great. So it was essentially just, uh, I think I had some chit malt and some cooked jasmine rice in the, in the, in the partial mash. And then I, I, I finished it up with some pills and DME uh, at flame out. And it was, it ended up being a very kind of dry, crisp uh, beer with like a, like a pretty nice rounded mouthfeel. It was, it, was, it was a really nice base beer, but my mistake was using Sriracha Ace uh, hops inappropriately. Um, I, I used way too much for, because mm-hmm. I, I brew three gallon uh, oh, okay. uh, batches. And I, I just, I, I've heard the complaints about kind of the dill and the lemon pledge cleaner flavor. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, I love dill. It's one of my favorite herbs. But in this case, in, in this beer, it just, it, it didn't work. Um, 
I didn't dump it because I'm stubborn and I'll finish any <laughs> that, I, that I brew. But um, it, you know, it was something that my my wife doesn't usually drink beer at all. Um, she'll usually like what I drink if she has small tastes of it. But this one, she she was, she was like, like no. the worst thing you've ever made. Yeah, <laughs> I made a beer with a previous guest, Paul, um, where we used a lot of sriracha ace in in the beer, and I remember the first pint, and I hated it. I was like yeah. the I, I'm not a big sake guy, um, and I get a lot of plum out of that hop. And oh, wow. um, I had the first pint, and I was like, I, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> and it wasn't particularly strong. I want to say it was about 6%, so it's not like I had one, and then like my taste buds were uh, decimated. But then I went downstairs uh, to get another pint. I was like, all right, I'm just going to try this. And... Hands down, it became one of my favorite beers. I think oh, it wow. was just the that hop is so unique yeah. that it's kind of like when you're a kid and you're learning to drink beer and you have an IPA. Yeah, that is the wrong beer to start on because if you're not oh, used sure. to hops and and everything, that's just bitterness. Go with a nice lager, and I think that was kind of like the equivalent with Sriracha Ace of. You've got to be prepared to like taste something you've never tasted before, <laughs> unless you're a big and, sake guy, and then maybe you're you're more open to it. And I don't mind sake, and I've had I know there's plenty of commercial beers that really showcase sriracha as well. I think Brooklyn Brewery does one, mm-hmm. and then um, some of the Japanese dry lagers, I, as far as I understand, use it. And I've never had any issue with those. I, I just think in my case, I used the wrong proportion for the for the amount that I was brewing. Yeah, I um I will add my recipe with the sriracha ace to the show notes um just because we're talking about it so if anyone wants to go try it please do i would love to hear how it turned out for you and if your reaction was exactly the same (laughs) sitting in this mystical brew pub and we are drinking pints of your alt beer the pub turns into whatever you want it to be so what is your dream brew pub and what would it be called I think, so I, I kind of referenced before that I do make bagels, and um, my brother is also, he's into drinking my beer, but he, he's also, uh, you know, in, into, I think, starting a business where we can serve bagels and beer to people, and uh, and that would be it, you know, if you want anything to eat, you're getting a bagel, that's it, and, uh, <laughs> and we would call it, you know, Snyder Brothers Bagels and Brews. Um, but I, I like the idea of a more intimate setting. Some of the really large kind of beer halls, uh, just for me personally, can be a little bit intimidating. And uh, the way I kind of think of it modeled in my mind, uh, back in 2015, I visited California for the first time and Sante Adarius uh, uh, Brewery was, was one, of the, one of the places we stopped by when we were kind of traveling around. And it, it was a really intimate setting. You know, you have one room with a, with a small bar plenty of beer on tap and then a sitting room kind of in the next uh next room over and um it was just an intimate nice setting so i you know you think you get you know a nice group of people family friends or you know have uh uh, friendly strangers together and in a small intimate environment and can enjoy bagels and beer that would be it for me oh that sounds heavenly because we've got a bagel restaurant here that doesn't serve beer Oh, actually, it might do, but we normally go for breakfast, so I probably shouldn't. Um, and the bagels are made. So would these be like bagel sandwiches? Oh, yeah, we could we could do, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, ba- uh, pizza bagels, uh, bagel sandwiches, yeah, whatever people want. Love it. Well, everyone, come down to Snyder Brothers Bagel and Brews. Get an amazing bagel sandwich. 
get an alt beer and come and just hang out with us because this is just a lovely time. want to say a huge thank you to david uh the dme brewer for coming on please go and check out his instagram i've got links to it in the show notes and again i've said it before but extra brewing is a completely underrated way to brew for you know time saving and doing some really cool creative stuff so please be sure to check out that recipe and brew it and let us know what you think and of course thank you so much for listening if you could leave us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcast that'll just help other people find the show if you want to reach out to us possibly come on and share a pint with me you can reach us at our website thehomebrewpub.com or email landlord at thehomebrewpub.com or on social at thehomebrewpub on instagram and twitter And if, like me, you hate those annoying ads, well, we've got to keep the lights on here at the Homebrew Pub somehow. So consider joining our Patreon and becoming a Mug Club member. For $3 a month, you'll get access to ad-free versions of the episodes. But until then, grab your favorite pint, put your feet up, relax, don't worry, and have a homebrew. Till next time. Cheers. Cheers.